Welcome to Hypergrowth Investing, a weekly podcast that picks the brain of investment analyst Luke Lango. Each week, Luke and I will take an in-depth look at trending tech and investment innovations. Electric vehicles, cryptocurrency, the metaverse, nothing is off limits in this innovative podcast. We go up every Wednesday on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you choose to listen to your favorite podcasts. So make sure to subscribe to get Hypergrowth Investing as soon as it goes up. I'm Aaron Davis educator and lifelong learner, looking to pick the brain of one of the smartest investment analysts I know, Luke Lango. Luke, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm good, Aaron. It's, it's a sea of red out there, but, but I'm good. <laughs> so is that, that sea of red, did that affect your uh, long weekend? Did you get to do anything fun or were you just crazy? The, the oh, the weekend was fine. The weekend was good. I just woke up on Tuesday morning and found myself in a sea of red. So that's, gotcha. that's, what, we with. that's what we got. But it's the market that we've been expecting. Uh, so it's really not not much of a surprise to us to see stocks bleeding this morning. Gotcha. All right. Well, I know that we have a bunch of topics to get to. Uh, some of them carry over from last week. Some of them are completely new. Um, but first, I know that there was some big news uh, this morning with Metaverse uh, and in the Metaverse and Activision uh, being bought by Microsoft. Uh, what's your take on that? Right. Yeah. So Microsoft went ahead and bought Activision for about sixty nine billion dollars. It is Microsoft's big move into the metaverse. The company is now positioning itself very attractively in that market because in-house, they already have really strong productivity tools. And now they're acquiring the crown jewel in gaming. So they have best-in-breed productivity, best-in-breed gaming. Those are two of the most immediately realizable benefits of the metaverse. And Microsoft owns the top tools in both spaces. So this acquisition is really Microsoft's all-out blitz into the metaverse. And from an investment perspective, it really underscores that big tech isn't just talking the talk here. They're walking the walk. Facebook turned its name into Meta, committing all of its resources to becoming a metaverse company. Apple is launching a AR, VR headset in 2022. Some are calling that the iPhone killer. Microsoft is buying Activision for $69 billion. So lots of talk. Now it's being backed up by WAC. That's why we think 2022 is going to be this just total blockbuster year for the metaverse. It's going to be its coming out party. Now, I know that we we talk when we talk about the metaverse, the way that uh, people associate it right now Mm -hmm. is, again, as you discussed in the past is that gaming mentality is activision that big make or break company in the gaming space that's going to put microsoft on that same level as meta and uh and apple with the innovations that they have i we believe so i mean i i think that in the gaming world the the gaming franchise that is most likely to have huge success in the metaverse is grand theft auto now that's owned by take two so that's not activision But if you remove Grand Theft Auto from the equation, what's next? Well, Call of Duty, I think, has a really good chance of being a metaverse hit. I mean, it is the biggest shooter video game franchise of all time. When you think of playing in the metaverse, of gaming in the metaverse, you know, having this, like, being able to control the weapon and run around, that is a huge part of metaverse gaming. Call of Duty uh, fully embodies that. That's Activision's crown jewel. Microsoft now has that. So yes, we do think that there are enough video game assets in Activision to really 
spring Microsoft into the leadership position or at least be one of the leaders in the metaverse race. And another understated attribute of Activision is its mobile gaming division, mm-hmm. right? A lot of metaverse gaming is going to have to be mobile friendly because that's where we're spending all of our times on our phones. How does that happen? That's a big question. But with Microsoft's technical technology expertise and Activision's mobile gaming expertise, those two together can potentially solve that problem. So we see them as now being the leader in mobile gaming metaverse, which could be a massive industry in the long run. So to answer your question, Aaron, yes, this is huge news for Microsoft stock because we believe it takes Microsoft, which was talking about metaverse, saying mm-hmm. they're going to do the metaverse, saying this could be big, and actually plunges them into a leadership position in the industry. Very bullish. So do you see them cornering the market on that gamification of the metaverse? No. Or no. is this the first step from yeah. gamification to other areas of the metaverse? Yeah, more more of a first step. I, first off, no one's going to corner the market for gaming in, in the metaverse. Like mm-hmm. I said, take two with... Uh, uh, Grand Theft Auto has an enormous opportunity to create a metaverse world uh, around Grand Theft Auto. We think that could be massive. Roblox is doing some really cool things with this kind of Lego gaming. And they're actually upping their graphics too. Recent graphics out of Roblox are really, really good. So Roblox has a huge stake there. Um, we think that there are some some blockchain metaverses like Decentraland and Sandbox are going to make some waves. So no one's going to really corner the market on metaverse gaming. Instead, what this does, is it allows Microsoft to get their fair share of the pie. Uh, so that's what it does in the gaming. Then what are they going to do subsequent to that? Well, of course, they're going to use gaming as their leg into the metaverse, after which they're going to cross-sell people into their metaverse productivity tools, which is their real bread and butter, right? Microsoft is a company that helps you do work. Microsoft mm-hmm. Excel, Microsoft Word, Microsoft PowerPoint, all their cloud stuff, right? That is their bread and butter. That's how they made a trillion, multi-trillion dollar empire, they want to cross-sell that stuff to you in the metaverse. That's their long-term growth play here. Gaming is just a leg into that, but a very important leg into that because to your point, as you said earlier, gaming is how everybody thinks the metaverse these days. That is step one. Microsoft is going on that journey with you. They're taking step one. What's step two? Cross-sell your productivity after that, but that's probably down the road. Gotcha. So are there any other big takeaways that we should be looking at with this or is we kind of covered it all already. Well, I mean, I think it's, it's just really bullish on metaverse stocks. It, it's mm-hmm. a very bullish development for everybody in the metaverse. Gotcha. Hyper growth tech stocks are getting crushed in the market right now. Uh, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Yep. But there are opportunities in this sell-off in companies that are actually going to execute long-term. It increasingly appears high-quality metaverse companies are going to execute in the long-term. Metaverse is the future. So amid these favorable fundamental developments for metaverse companies against the backdrop of a metaverse stock sell-off, you're going to see some big opportunities. And that's why it's really important for investors to be paying attention right now and find opportunities in this mess. Okay. Well, I know that another thing that investors are definitely paying attention to right now, moving into our next topic, uh, is is inflation. And I know we, we touched about it a little bit last week. Um, mm-hmm. Is it super hot? Is it peaking? Um, again, uh, one of the things that you sent to me was that CPI and PPI numbers last week uh, both came in at decade highs. And again, I think before we even touch on inflation, uh, what for our viewers who may not be familiar, what are CPI and PPI numbers and why is it important in this discussion? 
Uh, okay, great. Yeah, so CPI is Consumer Price Index. That tracks tracks a, the price of a basket of goods that consumers pay for. PPI is Producer Price Index. That tracks a bas- the price of a basket of goods that producers pay for, wholesale prices. So they're, they're two sides of the same equation. Mm-hmm. Now, CPI and PPI are running very, very hot. Obviously, you know that. You've read all the media headlines. Inflation's running at, at multi-decade high levels. And that's really spooking the markets. The mm-hmm. Fed is starting to act very hawkish towards that. It's this evolution, this hawkish evolution of the Fed that's scaring the markets. Ten-year Treasury yields rising, uh, rate hike expectations are rising, stocks are falling. As you're seeing in the market right now. But the way we come at it is more of the velocity of inflation as opposed to the raw inflation number. Mm-hmm. Right? Raw inflation's high, decade high, seven percent, eight percent. We're seeing massive readings. But the trend, the velocity of the inflation gains is slowing. So mm-hmm. month over month, CPI in December slowed. So yep. did PPI. Why is this happening? Why is, So inflation, the rate of inflation is actually slowing down. The trend in inflation is slowing. And the question is, why is that happening? Well, you have mm-hmm. to ask, why did inflation emerge in the first place? Mm-hmm. Three things. Supply chain crisis, thanks to COVID-19 uh, protocols, which basically allowed – or kept factories from having optimal production. Two is consumer demand was super hot in 2021 because everybody saved all this money during the pandemic and then mm-hmm. spent like crazy in 2021. They had all the savings to do so. Plus a lot of pent up demand to just to go and do stuff. And then three was you had really easy laps as they're called. So mm-hmm. comparables from a year ago were really, really easy, right? In 2020, the economy shut down inflation readings throughout that entire year didn't break 1.5%. Mm-hmm. So it's easy to put up massive 5%, 6%, 7% numbers when you're lapping against less than 1.5%. But now let's go to 2022. All those dynamics are going to reverse course. Supply chain crisis? Well, guess what? We're going from pandemic to endemic in COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And policies are shifting course as well. So as, as opposed to getting rid of COVID. Now governments are like, let's just kind of contain COVID and keep people relatively safe. Mm-hmm. That's a shift that allows production, allows factories to get back to normal operating capacity. Supply chain crisis, kissing bye-bye in 2022. <laughs> Number two, consumer demand. Everybody spent all their money in 2021, mm-hmm. right? I mean, yep. we went and did those things. We exhausted that pent-up demand. We spent all of our money. The personal savings rate for households exiting 2021 was below that of what it was before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. We had this huge savings burst. Everybody saved. They spent it all. And then leaving 2021, savings rate was actually below where it was in 2019. Mm-hmm. So all that savings firepower is gone. The stimulus is gone. The econ- or the Fed's tightening rates, so there's not as much free money out there. <laughs> Consumer demand's going to fall flat in 2022. So that problem is gone. Problem three with tough laps we're not laughing lapping against 1.5% anymore. We're lapping against 4%, 5%, 6%, 7%. So that's going to be much harder in 2022 to put up really hot numbers. So net-net, we think 2022 is actually a year of dramatically decelerating inflationary pressures. And that is the contrarian thesis, which we think is going to surprise markets to the upside in the balance of the year. Now, uh, just to kind of... You talked. You, t- you touched on three factors, and it was. And one of the things I was doing as I was, you know, getting ready for this podcast was I was looking at, you know, the same thing trends. And I, I think a lot of people do agree that with you that it's a transitory phase. I think the question is how long is this transitory phase going to happen? But one of the a fourth factor that I 
was interested in, I'm interested to hear your take on it, is the politics involved in inflation right now. Uh, you know, when we've seen inflation like this in the past, it seems to be the trend that despite what the policies are, whether they are helpful or harmful to the consumer, that it's to help curb inflation. Right now, it seems that because of the way politics are, that it's just, let's just make people as happy so that we can continue, you know, getting the votes that we need to stay in power. I was wondering what your take on that is. I don't think there's much politics behind the current inflation. Everyone's trying to politicize it. I don't think that's really what's what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact of the matter is uh, the White House has built back better plan, which is a huge $2 trillion spending package. Uh, Senator Joe Manson is not supporting that, and that's not going to happen. So mm-hmm. you're not getting the fiscal stimulus that was supposed to happen. Uh, the Fed is tightening rates because they're trying to quell inflation. That's their job. Employment's mm-hmm. at the maximum. There's really, I don't think there's much politics going on there. And so when you look at the whole politics behind inflation, I think it's really kind of this this disguise. Okay. I don't think there's too much going on. I think media is playing it up as that to create a story and a narrative that people want to listen to and bite on. But there is not politics behind inflation. There's three things behind inflation. Gotcha. Supply chain crisis, mm-hmm. super hot demand, and really easy comps. It's data. It's not politics. And the data says all three of those trends are going to reverse course in 2022, causing massively decelerating inflation. Now, the big risk to that thesis is if wages rise dramatically in 2022, Mm -hmm. thanks to a tight labor market, Mm -hmm. in which case savings, low savings rates aren't going to matter because everyone's going to be making more money and then they could spend more money. So Mm -hmm. Are some risks to this decelerating inflation narrative, but we think those risks are rather small, and that there the overwhelming of data today suggests decelerating inflation in 2022. But the market, I think the, the market agrees with that, but the market's afraid that the Fed is going to overreact. Mm-hmm. And that may happen. Because what you have to understand here is this Fed's got a credibility problem. They have flipped mm-hmm. and flopped a fish out of water so many times under chair Jay Powell's leadership for the past three years. They went from Mm -hmm. hiking to cutting to going to zero to saying transitory to saying inflation super hot to now having this really hawkish evolution. So the Fed has been, I mean, not very credible. Now they're saying super hawkish. Mm -hmm. If they flip again, that might create a problem. So the Fed may have put themselves into a corner where they have to hike to maintain their credibility, even if that hiking is a policy mistake that will dramatically slow the U.S. economy because we don't need rate hikes because inflation is actually decelerating. So that is a big risk to 2022. We don't Mm -hmm. think that's going to happen. We think this Fed is going to be much more data-driven than concerned about their credibility. But if the opposite is true, if they're more concerned about their credibility than being data-driven and being right, Mm-hmm. that's a setup for in which markets could could fail and in which hyper-growth tech stocks could get absolutely crushed. Which, which again, brings, brings me to the next point. How does, how does rate hikes, how does inflation, again, we talked a little bit about this last week, uh, the, the difference between small caps and large caps. Uh, there's, and, again, the, the divergence between how they're both performing right now. Again, we, talk, we talked about Microsoft earlier where, mm-hmm. you know, Getting Activision, I'm sure their price is going to go up, and it, we're going to see a huge bump in them. Um, but again, those smaller tech stocks, they're not doing as well right now. How does 
and some of that has to do with inflation and the rate hikes that you're talking about. Um, uh, all, all of it has to do with inflation. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. The, you're seeing exceptionally favorable fundamental business developments in the industries of metaverse, in the industries of electric vehicles, uh, iGaming, esports. All of these industries are seeing a, a, autonomous vehicles. Um, all of these industries are seeing exceptionally favorable fundamental business developments, yet the stocks in those industries are getting crushed. And it's simply because they're being valued off of 2025, 2030 earnings and sales projections. And the market mm -hmm. in the case of a Fed that's going to hike rates is now significantly discounting those projections. So anything that's not being valued off of 2022 stuff is getting crushed. So the stuff being valued off of 2022 stuff, mm -hmm. uh, banks, the cyclicals, the McDonald's, the Walmarts, they're holding up just fine. But the stocks that are valued off of 2025, 2030 projections, they're getting crushed hard. And that's where the opportunity lies, because guess what? Not all of these stocks are going to hit their 2025 or 2030 projections. In fact, most of them won't. But the ones that do, the ones that actually execute and hit those 25 and 30 projections, they're screaming buys right here. Because mm -hmm. the market's significantly discounting those projections, creating an massive upside opportunity if the companies execute. So what investors should be doing right now is going through the tech bloodbath, going mm -hmm. through this small cap sell-off and finding the companies that they have high conviction in can actually meet their 2025, 2030 consensus estimates. Because if they can, those stocks are going to soar. And as proof of this, if you look at those companies, if you look at mm -hmm. stocks in, in that industry, and you go to their consensus Wall Street price targets, they're almost all 70%, 80%, 90%, 100%, 150% above where they're currently trading, meaning that the people who put together those long-term estimates believe the stock is worth double what it currently is. So if the stock mm -hmm. does hit its long-term estimates, there's huge upside opportunity. But again, so not all stocks will do that. So you have to be mm -hmm. very selective. This is a selective year for the markets. Mm-hmm. So looking for, again, small in the small caps with big future promises and less cash flow today. Those are the stocks at the epicenter of the current sell-off. If you're a high valuation company that's not making any money, you're getting yep. crushed today. Don't go and buy those falling knives. Play a little defense here. Okay. Look for profitable tech. Look mm -hmm. for companies that have a slightly lower valuations. But don't forget about those once high-flying tech stocks because in that mad sell-off, when there's blood on the streets, there's massive opportunities too. And that, you have blood in the streets over there. I mean, these stocks are peeling off 60, 70, 80% from their 2021 highs, their early 2021 highs. And mm -hmm. it has nothing to do with their business fundamentals, nothing for a lot of these companies. It's all about inflation and all about discounting long-term growth prospects. So if indeed they do hit those long-term growth prospects, there's massive opportunity in those stocks. And then on the small cap, mid cap versus large cap thing, mm -hmm. large caps become the new cash. People are playing defense by buying large caps. Large cap is traditionally considered more stable in the face of yep. what could be volatility here in 2022. Now, the result of that is that large cap valuations, this is the valuation of large cap stocks have exploded to very rich levels. The large cap stocks are trading at around 21, 22 times forward earnings, which is a massive premium on their five-year average valuation of around 16, 17 times forward earnings. But small and mid-cap stocks are trading at around 15 times forward earnings, which is actually below their historical average of around 16 to 17 times forward earnings. So one could very reasonably say small-cap and mid-cap stocks 
have already been repriced for higher rate hikes. They have lower multiples, yet large cap stocks have not because everyone's playing defense with them. Mm. Eventually, this has to correct itself. And so we so that, that leads me to the next question is how, how long does this last right now? Uh, so if, if we look at a historical precedent here, we think, again, this is kind of a repeat of 2016 mm. when the Fed last entered a sustainable rate hike cycle. Remember, the Fed hiked rates in December 2015. And then they went the full 12 months without hiking rates. And then they finally hiked in December 2016 and went on a rate hike cycle into December 2018, where they hiked rates eight times. During this year, between December 2015 and December 2016, the market was absolutely on edge mm-hmm. about which way the Fed was going to go. Are they going to keep hiking? Are they going to cut? Are we going to stay here? And because of all these fears about what the Fed's, Fed was going to do, there was uncertainty about the policy action the course of policy, that created a lot of turbulence in growth stocks, very similar to what we're seeing today. We don't know what the course of Fed action is going to be. They're saying one thing, but maybe they'll do this. Maybe they'll do that. They're going to hike three times, four times. Where should the 10-year be? There's a lot of uncertainty there. But once the Fed ripped the proverbial Band-Aid off in December 2016, the, the opposite happened of what you would expect. Hyper-growth tech stocks mm-hmm. actually surged because mm-hmm. The Band-Aid was ripped off. The fears were gone. Policy course was set. They were going to hike rates. That was that. The hyper-growth tech stocks had already been repriced. Now it's time to let their earnings growth shine, and their earnings growth did just that and powered the stocks way higher. We think the same thing happens here. That puts all eyes on March 2022. That's when the Fed is supposed to hike rates. Mm -hmm. That's when the Fed is supposed to finally set a firm course for policy action over the next 12 months. Mm -hmm. If they hike rates there, if there is a consensus about them hiking rates repeatedly over the next several meetings, mm-hmm. that will be the proverbial rip the bandaid off moment when growth stocks inflect from getting crushed to actually moving higher. And the defensive value names could actually struggle because that's exactly what happened in 2017 mm-hmm. once the Fed kind of got into its groove. Same thing could happen here. We think the same thing could happen. It's a very similar setup. So we're going to have a lot to talk about in March. <laughs> Uh, yeah, March is a very critical month for for tech stocks for the entire stock market in general. March mm-hmm. is going to be a very big month because also in March, actually starting in April, so the next month is when you're going to start getting really tough comps on inflation. Mm-hmm. So you're going to start to see those headline numbers also really come down. Okay. So March, April, May is going to be a very interesting month for the, for the stock market this year. Mm-hmm. And that period will probably ultimately determine where stocks go and which type of stocks perform over the subsequent 12 to 18 months. Gotcha. Well, uh, moving on and again to, to, but staying within the kind of tech sector, uh, you know, one of the things that happened uh, last few weeks, uh, Virgin Orbit had a successful launch. I know that, (laughs) you know, here's, here's the thing. So, uh, you know, with this topic and again, you know, I, I think space still has this very, um, you know, you look at it through rose-colored glasses because as a kid, space was the thing. You know, everybody wanted to be an astronaut. Everybody saw space as like, okay, well, we, we put a man into space, and then we put a man to the moon, and then we have this big push in the space sector, and it felt like wow. space was going to continue to evolve as we continue to grow up. Mm-hmm. But I think that uh, we can both agree that space became somewhat stagnant as – adults until now and i guess my question is is this a niche is it a fad or is space something to really you know invest in in the coming years uh the latter 
Absolutely the latter. There is a lot of speculation about it just being a niche or a fad, but the economic opportunities uh, up there are very large. Mm-hmm. Talking about I mean, one of the ones that I'm most excited. I mean, everyone talks about space tourism, right? Mm-hmm. Which is what Virgin Galactic is doing, which is what Blue Origin is doing, a part of what Blue Origin is. Doing. And orbit and orbit is different. Orbit is not tourism. Orbit is a sister cousin, whatever you want to call it, a related company to Virgin Galactic, both owned by Richard Branson. Mm-hmm. Richard but doing Branson, very different things than than tourism. Uh, Virgin Orbit is doing very different things than tourism. So Richard Branson must be obsessed with flying things into space and then launching <laughs> them in space. That's yeah. what Virgin Galactic does, right? They they fly a yeah. plane up and then they detach the rocket and mm-hmm. then the the rocket shuttle then blasts into space. Virgin Orbit does the same thing, but with an actual rocket as opposed to human humans in the, in the shuttle. Mm-hmm. Uh, they fly, they do a midair launch, boom. Uh, what Virgin Galactic does is they have people in this uh, shuttle that then mm-hmm. detaches and then goes up, and it's a uh, five, ten-minute joyride in space. You get to see Earth from from orbit. Mm-hmm. What Virgin Orbit does is they they have a rocket that detaches, and the rocket has satellites, and then it launches into space, and it puts those satellites into orbit. Now, the latter is a much more interesting economic opportunity. The former, we do think, has a place, right? Rich mm-hmm. people pay anything to go to space. And the more we democratize that, the more we uh, create access to space tourism, the more demand's always going to be there, right? Mm-hmm. It's just a price. What price are you willing to pay? Yeah. Well, as price comes down, the audience is going to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. We believe price will continue to come down. As there's more and more rides, price will come down more and more people will go on them. So we think that is a big opportunity, but it's only a very small fraction of what the opportunity in space is. The one we're more excited about is putting satellites up there to do things. Mm-hmm. Now, when you put satellites up there to do things, what things are they going to do? One, you can provide a lot of data up there, right? So you can get geospatial imagery, mm-hmm. which can uh, track assets, capture data uh, on weather patterns, see what's happening in certain geological formations. You can measure CO2 emission, uh, emissions that way. So there's a lot of things you can do in terms of data with these satellites and tracking what's going on on Earth. And that's what that's- Planet Labs is doing, correct? Planet Labs is doing that. Planet Labs is the leader in these uh, basically data tracking satellites that cover the Earth. And we think that is an enormous opportunity. We think that is the single largest opportunity in space because data is king. Mm-hmm. And what outer space does provide an additional vertical of data for enterprises to optimize their operations. So we think that is huge. They're mm-hmm. creating an entire new data basically source. And that's going to be massive. So Planet Labs is doing that. There's a couple other companies doing that. But Planet Labs is the unrivaled leader in that space. Very, very interesting company. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there are other opportunities up there, such as outer space solar energy generation. Mm-hmm. Actually, Caltech, my, my alma mater, just started a big research project mm-hmm. through a massive grant uh, to study the viability of generating solar in outer space, solar energy. Because when you think about it, right, the closer you are to the sun, the more solar power you can generate from the same amount of area, square mm-hmm. footage. Earth, orbit, huge delta in terms of proximity to the sun. Mm-hmm. And it's never cloudy up there. It's never rainy, right? It's always going to get sunlight. So you could solve the world's energy crisis by figuring out how to generate solar out there by putting up satellites and have solar panels. And then the problem is the technological problem everyone's trying to solve is how do we transmit that energy 
back to earth. That's what Caltech's working on. A lot of other companies are working on that and, and research institutions. We think that could be a huge opportunity. There is asteroid mining, which is farther out, but asteroids contain a lot of water, a lot of rare minerals, a lot of things that earth is starting to lack. Mm-hmm. We can start to get those things um, in outer space. So when you start to add up all of these individual opportunities, the some of the parts mm-hmm. in space is in the trillions of dollars. And that's why we think that this is not just a niche or a fad, but rather the beginning of an entirely new economic revolution uh, in our space. And again, one of the things that, you, that, you're, that you're really good at is that you're not just looking at space <laughs> as the be-all, end-all thing to invest in. It's all the technology that goes into putting a man or a satellite in, or get, getting the, the, the energy from solar back down to Earth those are the technologies that you're looking at and, and the, the companies driving those technologies. Again, I think one of the things that, that uh, I think Virgin is, is doing is the idea of reusable rockets. So that's a technology advance that we haven't seen in the space race. But, and something I think that, again, is that as we're learning about, the spa- about space is, is something to be looking at the technology behind it. So what other yeah, technologies should we be looking is- at? Yeah, reusable rockets is very interesting. I mean, Virgin Orbit's thing more more so is uh, in-air launch, right? What they do is everybody else is launching from the ground. Okay. Um, they're flying a plane up. Like I said, a, literally, it's a Boeing plane, a retrofitted mm-hmm. Boeing plane. Yeah. They fly it up, and then they, the, the rocket detaches, and then it launches in space. And the upside they're in is that, one, and the biggest upside is that thanks to gravity, the, the laws of physics, gravity – the atmosphere is densest, mm-hmm. lowest to the earth. Mm-hmm. So actually the rocket has to do the most work on launch, on mm-hmm. takeoff. And the work becomes less and less intense as you get higher into the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So by launching in air, by already sending this plane up thousands of feet, by going up here and launching it there, you're skipping this whole part the atmosphere. Yep means you're skipping a whole lot of work that the rocket needs to do a whole lot of power and fuel that needs to go into the rocket remove that power and fuel requirement from the rocket and you increase the amount of space that can be utilized to put more satellites on it so payload capacity massively increases when you go from launching from the ground to launching in the air that's the biggest upside of what virgin orbit is doing there are debates about the magnitude of that payload capacity increase of course elon musk who Mm -hmm. is building giant rockets at launching the ground says that payload capacity increase is not that large of course virgin orbit who is doing the in-air launch says it is very large unfortunately we don't really know until virgin orbit does more of these launches and we can Mm -hmm. find actually get some data on measuring the delta but everyone agrees there is a delta simply because of the laws of physics mm-hmm. how big that delta is will determine how successful virgin orbit is as a company long term and then the other thing about virgin orbit that's cool is that by launching in air right when you launch from the ground you need a, a rocket launch pad mm-hmm. which not many countries have access to like the u.s russia china but a lot of com- countries across the globe do not have access to rocket launch pads, but everyone has access to a plane runway. Mm-hmm. So by launching rockets from planes, you increase access for everybody because all you need is access to a runway and not a rocket launch pad. Everyone has a runway, not everyone has a rocket launch pad. So there's, I mean, there are a whole bunch of upsides with what Virgin Orbit's doing. It's, it's really interesting. But yeah, that's their niche. Other people are doing reusable rockets. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of different technological niches here that are really exciting and get us really 
kind of pumped about what's going on here. And to your point, when you say it's all about building the picks and shovels, so to speak, for mm-hmm. the space revolution, yeah. that's why we're so excited right now. Because mm-hmm. we're at an inflection point where the technology has improved enough and the costs have declined enough where we can cost-effectively, safely, and frequently send people and things into space. That was not a thing 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Only astronauts went to space and satellites, big NASA satellites went to space on very infrequent, very expensive, very dangerous missions. Now billionaires are flying into space. Yes, it's billionaires, but that's a huge step from astronauts. Mm -hmm. I mean, equally huge step when we go from billionaires to millionaires Mm -hmm. and millionaires to the rest of us. And so we are in this democratization process right now. We're in the first few innings. That's why we're so excited because it's not about what's happening right now. It's about the technology mm-hmm. and enabling what can happen tomorrow. So that's why we we're really excited about space stocks. Now these stocks are getting crushed because they are the very type of hyper growth, yeah. long duration money losing assets that investors do not like right now. But as we said earlier in this call, mm-hmm. that's where there's huge opportunities too. So you got to find the space companies that are going to execute and those will yield enormous returns in the long run. Well, one of the things that we talked about uh, is the idea of these solar satellites. And uh, again, one of the things, one of the disadvantages of solar is that solar only works with the sun. Uh, But one of the things, again, that you are looking at is definitely uh, battery storage and power storage. Uh, So the idea of solid state batteries, I know that uh, QuantumScape now has a partnership with uh, fluence, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, you know, can you tell us about that and why this is an important uh, merger of yeah. uh, partnership? Yeah, yeah, of course. So when we talk about uh, energy storage, it's, we think energy storage is going to be an enormous growth market in the 2020s, like maybe the biggest growth opportunity in the 2020s because the world is decarbonizing. The world's moving towards clean energy. That's inevitability. It's happening. Do not try to reject it. It's happening. But solar and wind, the two biggest sources of clean energy, are intermittent. Uh, okay. Sun is shine every day, wind doesn't blow every day. Yep. There are ways we can solve this by putting, you know, solar up in really sunny places and wind up in really windy places. But still, you run into intermittency problems, and that's why energy storage is a must, mm-hmm. a prerequisite for the world being powered by clean energy. You need yeah, to just, just so, yeah. Before we go any further, I, like, cause, and this is just, this is for my own edification. What's the difference between energy storage and a battery? Well, a battery is a form of energy storage. Yeah. So you can pair, you would, what we have to do to decarbonize the grid and get power by clean energy, is you have to pair solar and wind with energy storage. Okay. That energy storage can be batteries. And right now, the status quo, the incumbent technology in energy storage mm-hmm. is lithium-ion batteries. Okay. Yeah. We got so good with them with electric vehicles and other electronic devices that it's like, why not just parlay those advances over to energy storage? So mm-hmm. pretty much the, the majority of the market of energy storage today is powered by lithium-ion batteries. But the, pa- the problem with lithium-ion batteries is that they don't last very long. They degrade over time. So the duration of storage, its duration is how long it, it, it can store its, its max power for. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, lithium-ion is considered very good in zero to four hours, decent in four to ten hours, and pretty, pretty crappy in the ten-plus hour range. Mm-hmm. 
And that's a problem because when you think about energy storage, you need to store energy for more than 10 hours. Okay. Like there are certain on-site energy storage solutions where zero to four works. Mm -hmm. There are certain off-site where four to 10 works, but in a lot of utility scale energy storage um, industries, you're going to need 10 plus hours of storage and lithium ion batteries, they ain't cutting it mm -hmm. at that range today. Mm -hmm. So that's why there's been your question, what's the difference between energy storage and battery? There have been a, there's emerged a lot of new technologies and techniques in energy storage outside of batteries to solve this long duration storage problem. You have some uh, iron flow batteries, mm -hmm. which is a different type of battery that's actually really good at long duration storage. You have metal air batteries, also a different type of battery that's that's used here. You have some weird gravity-based um, <laughs> techniques. It's actually a company based in, in Pasadena founded by uh, Bill Gross, who's a really famous venture capitalist that mm -hmm. I've been business with before. And they've created this kind of like, uh, it's like a pulley system uh, that basically, it, it pulls giant rocks up from the earth and releases them. And that's how it stores and uses energy. So there's all these different techniques coming about for energy storage. But we think that energy storage is going to be a massive industry because it needs to be a massive industry in order for the world to be powered by clean energy by 2025, 2030, 2035, et cetera, et cetera. So what's the importance of the solid state battery in this? Mm -hmm. well, let's go back to the duration problem. Mm -hmm. Short duration, mid duration, long duration. Lithium ion, short duration, great. Mid duration, eh, long duration, terrible. Mm -hmm. Insert the solid state battery with lithium ion. So all of a sudden you're creating a lithium metal battery. Okay. Solid state batteries are supposed to last forever uh, and basically never need to be replaced. Mm -hmm. That's why they're huge upsides in electric vehicles because you can get your multi-thousand mile range car. You don't need to replace your battery. That's where everybody's hyping the potential. But the potential is actually bigger in energy storage. Okay. Because you need a solid state battery, a lithium metal solid state battery as your energy storage technique, and boom, you solve the duration problem. You got short duration, mid duration, long duration, boom, 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 all solved. You don't need gravity based techniques. You don't need iron flow. You don't need all this other crap. You just need your lithium metal battery. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we're seeing QuantumScape, Stanford founded leading solid state battery maker partner with Fluence, the mm. leading lithium ion battery energy storage solution provider in the world. The two titans now combining their talents, their technologies to pioneer a lithium metal battery energy storage solution. I mean, there's no such thing as a sure thing in this world, but <laughs> that's as sure as it gets as far as finding a solution for this duration problem using solid state batteries. So we're exceptionally bullish on that partnership. We think it's great news for Fluence, great news for QuantumScape, and great news for all of the energy storage industry. Gotcha. So this is going to this is going to help EVs, this is going to help, you know, at home energy costs, this is going to change the way we we deal with carbon emissions. It's it's a it really is an overall game changer to to energy as a whole. Um Yes. I mean, the Fluence QuantumScape partnership specifically is just related to energy storage, mm -hmm. but it's tied to uh, EVs because yeah. batteries power everything. It's, it's tied to computers. It's, it's tied to phones. It's, it's tied to camera. It's tied to everything that's based on a battery because a solid state battery is not just for EVs. It's not just for energy storage mm -hmm. batteries. It's for every type of battery to make every electronic device last forever and never need to be replaced.
that's why it's massive news for the entire industry. Awesome. Uh, well, just to, again, kind of go back real quick for our next topic. You know, we talked about last week against again uh, the that uh, cryptos like small caps were were down. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the you know emerging trends in investing next to crypto, and you can't really talk about one without talking about the other these days, is NFTs. And NFTs are exploding, while crypto seems to be struggling. So initially, it seemed that both were doing really, really well. But now you have this kind of divergence. Uh, You know, what's going on? And is this something that's going to resolve itself? Or is this something where NFTs are the new crypto? And that's where people should be putting their money. Well, what we're seeing in the crypto markets is the long overdue divergence between fundamentals and price action, mm-hmm. which we've seen in hypergrowth tech stocks for a long time now, mm-hmm. dating back to February 2021. EV adoption has significantly soared since then. EV stocks have struggled. Mm-hmm. Um, autonomous vehicle developments have significantly improved since then. Autonomous vehicle stocks have struggled. Mm-hmm. So you've seen this divergence between fundamental developments and price action already occur in other risky assets. It just hasn't happened in cryptos because cryptos were holding up as this hedge against inflation for a while. Mm-hmm. That now has broken down, right? We'd like to say that cryptos are a good hedge against inflation until they're not. Okay. And we've kind of reached that point where they're not, where the the risky aspect of cryptos is overtaking their inflation hedge mm-hmm. attribute. Now, as a result, you're now starting to see that divergence, NFT volume surging. Everyone's buying NFTs these days. Everyone, I mean, they're going for millions of dollars. It's a massive market, massive opportunity. But cryptos, cryptos related to NFTs are struggling because mm-hmm. the broad crypto market is, is coming, coming down. Now, the reason for that is what I just explained. Mm-hmm. Will it continue? Will it persist? Not forever. Fundamentals and price action can only diverge for so long. We've seen it with hypergrowth tech stocks. It can last for quite a while. It's been mm-hmm. almost 12 months now. But eventually these things correct course. Are NFTs the new cryptos? N- not until NFTs become more democratized. I-, I don't think that is the case today or will be the case anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Those will forever have a, a place in the ecosystem. Um, NFT related cryptos will rebound. The question is, which ones? And that's a question that requires a lot of analysis into the crypto market in general. Mm-hmm. So, so then I guess broader question: What will NFTs be then in you know twelve months? Are is it going to be? Is it an investment, or is it just again kind of a fad of something where people are just showcasing their own worth? Oh no, it's absolutely an investment. I mean, it, it's both those things, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? I mean. Think about uh, Michael Jordan Nikes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jordans have been a fad, a fashion fad for mm-hmm. 20 years. And they continue to remain a strong fashion fad because people see a status symbol in them that they want to uh, attain. Mm-hmm. Same things can be true with NFTs. NFTs are just digital assets. They're the digital version of physical assets. Mm-hmm. The physical asset market is massive, is durable, has value, and has had value for a long time. The digital asset market will be the exact same because you have to understand anytime something physical gets digitized and that digital version becomes just as accessible, as cheap as, and as easy to use as the physical 
process or the physical market of that thing, the digital one overtakes it. When mm -hmm. online shopping became easier and cheaper than going to the mall, we all went to online shopping. Mm -hmm. When streaming Netflix became easier and cheaper than going to the movies, we all just started streaming movies on Netflix and TV shows on Netflix. Um, when things get digitized to a point of them being superior to the physical, it's just a natural shift from physical to digital. NFTs, the physical digital assets shift is going to play out in the exact same way. Mm -hmm. So to say that the NFT market is just a fad totally misunderstands the long-term implications of a physical to digital shift the entire society is undergoing with mm -hmm. assets being just one of the verticals of that revolution. So we're really bullish on the NFT market. We think there's enormous potential long-term there. We just need a shakeout to really get rid of a bunch of trash coins mm -hmm. that prop themselves up on nothing but hype and propaganda, get rid of those, have them smashed out of the market, and let the good ones rise. Let the good ones come to prominence. So we need that shakeout. We're getting that shakeout. It's very healthy. Stick with it. Find the good opportunities. <laughs> ride those up for the long term. And it, that, that's the winning strategy. So, so real quick, just to, just to go back to your Nike, uh, your your Air Jordan analogy. So, wow. what is what does a knockoff NFT look like? You know, you have knockoff Jordans. You have, uh, not you can have knockoff physical, uh, you know, uh, Prada bags. What is a is there going to be a sp uh, like a knockoff NFT space? There probably will be, but knockoffs are much harder in the digital asset space because of the blockchain. Of the blockchain, yeah. Ownership because of the proof of origin. Mm -hmm knockoffs are really hard like you can you know obviously if you buy something from the louis vuitton store and yeah. it's from the store you know it's real yeah go to a secondhand store go to a secondhand seller you don't know sometimes <laughs> there's something there was once i i was often i was in spain mm -hmm. uh i was in barcelona i always remember this story and i i was with some buddies and we were out at a, at a street market and one of the vendors was trying to sell me these white Ray-Bans. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, those look cool. He's trying to sell me them for like, that was like 30 euros, which at the time seemed like a really good price for, yeah. for Ray-Bans. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. I didn't know if they were real, but he's a secondhand seller. I'm like, whatever, good price. I bought them. And then after I bought them, after like a day or two of using them, I started looking at them closely. Mm -hmm. And it up in the right-hand corner, you know, where it says Ray-Ban right up here? Yeah. It said Rojobon. <laughs> And I never noticed it. And I was like, oh my God, probably worth no more than two bucks. Yeah. So I got I got scammed on Rohobons, Ray-Bans. <laughs> Rohobons. All right, cool. Um, how do you do that in the NFT market? Yeah. You can't because if you, you extend that analogy further, those pair of Rohobons mm -hmm. and Ray-Bans, they would have a digital receipt with them, mm -hmm. a digital ledger that would show me were they previously made by Ray-Ban? Were they sold at a Ray-Ban store? Are they actually that? Or are they just something that was made in, you know, some random place in Spain that you're now selling as a street vendor or somewhere else? So um, that is the difference between the knockoffs and the real. And the but there is also an audience for those knockoffs, people who don't want to pay, you know, yeah, no, $100 exactly. for a handbag, let alone $69 million for an NFT. Is there, are we going to see, uh, you know, where people are just like, you know what, I just, whether it's just, you know, a, a digital copy of the image where that's how they're showcasing that they have interest in it, or is there some sort of, you know, uh, NFT where on the blockchain it says, this is a knockoff, this isn't the real thing, but it's still more or less the same thing. Yeah, I, I to your point, I think there will be a, an enormous market for knockoffs in the NFT world, but that market will be healthy. Like it won't be scammy. Because yeah. 
when you purchase it, you're going to be able to you know where it's coming from. Yeah. yeah. But still, people like people buy knockoff Louis stuff, knockoff Gucci stuff, knockoff Prada stuff, knowing it's a knockoff. Yeah. But because it looks just like the real thing. So when they go out to dinner or when they go out to the, to the mall or whatever, when they do something and they're wearing that bag or the glasses or the shoes, a passerby doesn't know it's a knockoff. It looks good on them and then they think they're, they're cool or, or rich or they have some status or whatever, right? So that's why the knockoff market has its place in the real world. Same is going to be true in the digital world. You think of NFTs um, are going to be that in the metaverse, right? Because mm-hmm. people are going to buy these knockoffs for cheap and then wear them in the metaverse on their avatars and they're going to look cool to a passerby in the metaverse. So there is going to be a big market for knockoff NFTs uh, in the metaverse. And I think that, but I do think that market's going to be healthy. There aren't mm-hmm. going to be scams. People aren't going to be getting ripped off. It's going to be a It's healthy- not going to be that side deal you have on the corner of the street with some guy at the back of his truck. No Rohabans. No Rohabans. <laughs> no Rohabans. Right. No well, Luke, I think this has been, again, another very informative conversation. Uh, again, I hope our audience is getting uh, to know us a little bit better. I think they're, they're getting to know our topics a little bit better. Um, again, you can find us on uh, Apple, Google, uh, YouTube, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Um, again, just do a search for hypergrowth investing. Uh, Luke, do you have anything else before anything else you want to talk about before we sign off? Um, not really, not really, Aaron. You know, I really enjoy doing these things. I think they're really important at this point in time because you have to realize, as I said, fundamentals and price action are diverging in the markets right mm-hmm. now. And when that happens, it's easy to get scared and run for the hills and sell everything and say, I'm done with this. Mm-hmm. But millionaires, stock market millionaires are made in bear markets, not bull markets. And they're made in bear markets by people who don't do that. They're made in bear markets by people who sit back, see the forest through the trees, look at the fundamentals, find the opportunities and buy those things at dirt cheap prices before they skyrocket thousands of percent. So that's why when I look at 2022, I think it's going to be a messy year. I think it's going to be sloppy, but I'm super excited for it because I know there's going to be some enormous opportunities. And our job is to find those opportunities. And we're really excited to do that. Well, I look forward to, again, continuing to discuss these opportunities with you. Again, if you have any questions or comments for us, please leave a uh, comment in the description below. And Luke, I guess I'll see you next week and we'll see you all next week.